The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuley. Good evening, Trav. How are you? Good, buddy. How you doing? I'm all right. And uh, hey, we think, we hope that uh, in a couple of weeks here, uh, the Major League Baseball season is going to be coming. But uh, in the meantime, it sounds like uh, the name of our local team might be going. Uh, the Indians on Friday put out a statement that they're in the process of reviewing their name and uh, considering a, a whole new identity for the franchise uh, over the weekend, our friend Anthony Kastrovitz of MLB.com and the MLB Network uh, wrote a, a column on uh, Medium, uh, presented what I thought was a, a fantastic case for uh, why it's time for a change uh, for the uh, the old Cleveland baseball club there. Uh, we'll link to his piece in uh, the show notes for this episode. Anthony uh, joins us now um, to talk about that and a whole lot more with the Indians and uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, Anthony, how are you? Tom, I'm well, man. Uh, it's been a while and uh, always takes talking to you always takes me back to the News Herald newsroom circa what, 1999, right? That's right. It's a long time ago. That's right. We uh, we crossed paths there. Uh, you uh, you paved the way for me over at the post down in uh, right. Athens. And then uh, yes, I followed you over to the messenger after that. So uh yeah, it's uh, good times in the way back machine, but uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's start with this. It uh, it seems like at this point a name change is definitely coming, right? Like I have a hard time believing that the team would put out a statement like this, and then Terry Francona comes out over the weekend and says he's in favor of moving forward. I, I feel like all that stuff isn't happening if it's not basically a done deal, uh, pending whatever name they would settle on to replace it with. Yeah, it would be pretty stunning if they got to this point and then said, okay, we've talked about it with everybody. We're cool with the name. Never mind. Uh, it just doesn't <laughs> seem like a, a likely uh, scenario at this point. And it just goes to show I me mean, that, that statement they put out on, on that Friday night was not um, something hastily arranged. It's, it's part of a, you know, an ongoing internal conversation for many years. And then things really come to a head with the George Floyd situation. And then, uh, you know, the, the public pressure that was put on the Washington Redskins by FedEx really uh, brought this this issue to the forefront. And, you know, to the Indians credit, they they got ahead of this before their own corporate sponsors were, were put in the kind of put in the position of, of having to you know speak out on it. And so uh, so here we are. It'll be a long process. It's there's a lot that goes into a, a, a rebranding of, of this magnitude. But um, but at the same time, it's already been a long conversation, as we know. I mean, there's this this name has been the subject of discourse for longer than you or I have been alive. Uh, every opening day of our lives and then some, uh, you know, there's been Native American protesters at the games, both because of Wahoo, Chief Wahoo and and the Cleveland Indians name itself. Um, even last year, if they got after they got rid of Wahoo, uh, you know, the opening day 2019, they were out there um, and, and still wanted their voice heard with regard to the name. So. Uh, long time coming and I, I've, I've had my own evolution of thought on this issue and I just think it's time. I, I think there's a lot of people in the organization who think it's time to move on too. It's, it's just super interesting to me because, you know, like you were saying with Wahoo, we just went partway down this road a couple years ago when that logo was phased out. And at that point, the club, at least publicly, was pretty adamant that yeah. while they were willing to change the logo, 
Um, they were still 100% committed to the Indians' name, and it seemed like MLB was okay with that plan as well. Uh, is it just, you know, with the Redskins making their announcement last week, did the Tribe kind of have their hand forced here to go public with, you know, what they're thinking about now? It's just a general recalibration in our country. You know, it's, it's, it's part of this conversation that's going on in our country. I don't think anybody's suggesting that changing sports teams nicknames uh you know dramatically alters the racial landscape in our country but it is uh it's still significant enough that you know you make these changes because it's the right thing to do ultimately where sports franchise is not meant to stand in and represent an entire race of people if you do uh if you are going to attach yourself uh to an entire race of people uh with with your name it had better be a clear and uncomplicated, uncomplicated positive. And I don't think there's any uncom- anything uncomplicated about the term Indians. You know, it means different things to different people and you know, different Native American groups react to it differently. Um, you know, even those, there are even some who might use the term Indians themselves, but would prefer people who are not Native Americans, you know, don't use it. So it, as I said, it's just a, it's a complicated terminology and I don't think sports team names with the tens of thousands of words available to us in the English language. I don't know why uh, you would invite that needless complication. I think the other thing, Tom, that's happened in since they uh, got rid of Wahoo, I think they've just kind of faced the reality where they don't have much to do with their own nickname. There's, there's not a lot of avenues to go down there to market yourself with your own nickname. Um, you know, you, it's, it's Chief Wahoo is very difficult to replace, uh, to do anything using some kind of Native American symbol. Also, uh, you know, trends in the realm of disrespect. Uh, I've seen people propose feathers and whatnot. I mean, those are those are sacred symbols to Native Americans. So you don't take that lightly. So you're basically, you know, marketing the Cleveland portion of your name. So I, I think if 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 it comes to it where they are actually changing the name, it kind of becomes fun again, I'm sure, for some people internally there to actually be able to dream up some logo possibilities and, and some just some ways to market yourself to people and to sell merchandise and all that stuff that, you know, the, the stuff that's supposed to be fun uh, associated with sports as opposed to this awkward, difficult uh, cultural conversation. Yeah, there have been no shortages of suggestions put out <laughs> on social media after the last three or four days. Um I, uh, I said to Travis uh, before this, you know, we've got access to your institutional knowledge of the Indians and, and MLB. I don't want to spend an hour wasting it uh, just going back and forth with, I think the team should be named this or that. But uh, your piece that you wrote on Saturday, I did see you advocated pretty strongly um, for a name that you liked. And I know Travis has uh, a differing take. So for at least a couple minutes here, um, you, you, Anthony, you want uh, you want the team to go with the the spiders. So uh, make the case for us on the spiders. All right, spiders. So listen, I don't think the name has to have a, a, a historical tie to the baseball franchise um, or, or Cleveland baseball in general, I should say. Um, but you know, it doesn't hurt. And there's a lot of names uh, that this particular franchise in Cleveland baseball history encompasses. There's the Forest Cities and the Naps and the Blues and the Broncos and all kinds of different. Um, informal nicknames that they carried along the way uh the wanderers the infants all kinds of stuff uh, but spiders is the only one that probably works in the present day uh i mean the we talked about marketing and logos a second ago i mean that that kind of speaks for itself there's you know it's spider is pretty easy to and many people have dreamed up uh logo possibilities there but i also think it's um 
it's time to right the wrong uh, that was the Cleveland Spiders. Uh, famously, they went 20 and 134 in 1899 through no we fault say, of We their say own. famously. Did anyone really know this? But maybe you did. But 99% oh, well, yeah, of Cleveland I, Twitter did not know things, this like <laughs> six months ago. All things are relative. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much in the baseball bubble. So, yeah, it comes up from time to time. But, yeah, you're probably right. The average fan doesn't know or care, I'm sure. And that's probably a good thing if you do change the name to Spiders. But, uh, but yeah, terrible year uh, in 1899. But uh, the, for those who don't know, the, the, the team owners also owned a team in St. Louis. They basically gave up, gave all the, in, uh, I keep saying Indians, gave the Spiders uh, best players to the St. Louis club. Uh, this, the Spiders team played 112 games on the road. Uh, just, just a disastrous season in every, you know, every, every uh, bit of the word. So, um, so we got we to gotta do right by the Spiders, I think. They, they weren't given a fair shot in what was their last season of existence in 1899. They won Cleveland's first baseball championship in 1895. They won the Temple Cup. Um, so they have a, probably a, a more rich history than the Indians themselves, who have two titles in 105 years. So I, I think the Spiders got a bad rap, and I think they deserve a second chance. Um, and it's also – this is a very small point, but it's just something uh, – I've learned just in the last few days, uh, somebody sent me a, a newspaper clipping from 1901 in which the Indians franchise, um, the, the formal name at the time uh, was the Blues, but they were actually referenced in one of the local papers. There were four papers at the time. One of them called them the Spiders for some reason. Um, so there's actually a tie with the American League franchise as well. So uh, something to build off there. But I, I've heard many ideas bandied about. There's, there's good ones. There's bad ones. There's iffy ones. But to me, Spiders is the one that, that kind of hits on every point where um, it's hard to find a regional specialty here that isn't kind of weird and wonky and, and takes a lot of explaining. Um, spiders hits on the baseball heritage standpoint. It hits on the marketability standpoint. It's, it's rare in professional sports. It's, to my knowledge, not used in professional sports. Uh, University of Richmond is, is the only you know, uh, significant team I know of that uses Spiders. So I think there's an avenue there for the Cleveland baseball franchise. I have to admit, like much of my distaste for spiders in general is that every uniform I've seen some fan like mock up looks <laughs> like an arena league team, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah. Like, and, and I don't know if, if, if that's sort of what's, what's molded my preference or, or what, but um, to me, it seems a little too gimmicky. All of the history things you, you cite, I like, and then you get to spiders and I'm like, yeah, it just sounds terrible to me. Um, so well, see, now that, now that's how I feel about guardian. Like people say guardians and I get the, the guardians you know, thing is I, I, I treat that sort of like I do the, the spiders record. No one knew what the hell those things were called on that <laughs> exactly. bridge until like, I don't know, a year or two ago. Right. Um, right. I personally, I think the one that I've that I've most grown to like is probably the Commodores because it ties in with the minor league teams. And I looked up Commodore Perry, by all accounts, seemed like was really for his time. Yeah, this might not be all that necessary, but didn't own slaves um, like those sorts of tie ins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So That's I'm like, important. OK, so we're not going to have to cross that bridge later down right, the road. Right. Um, and every, and I've seen a few people show this. uh don't give up the ship flag. I think that would be kind of a cool branding thing. It's a little vintage. It's not necessarily new or um, it's probably not going to appeal to a significant portion, but um, I think that's probably where I'm at the most. Spiders would probably be, I guess, be my second because quite honestly, the rest of them are pretty awful and they don't have any real historical significance. So like, I don't know. I don't want it named after a person. 
yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need the fellers or the naps, which they had before and all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. those feel like a bit of a stretch. I don't know. It's it. I think no matter what we, we end up on, it's going to sound weird for a while. I'm also pretty positive. Everyone's just going to call it the tribe. Well, and, and maybe tribes an option. I mean, I, I don't know how strict they'll be about totally divorcing themselves from the Indians. Uh, you know. I saw someone suggest call them the goats because a group of goats is called the, a tribe. <laughs> that alleviates some of that. But then it, it still feels like sort of what you mentioned with feathers, though. It still feels like you're relying on that sort of like Native American imagery that wow. if you're trying to get away from it, get away from it completely. Yeah, Don't like that, it. that's what I was going to say. I think you yeah. got to do. You got to make a clean and complete yeah. break. I think and so, it, too. It's sort of interesting to me, I guess, and you might know a little bit more about this. Um, back when they uh, when they did say, you know, we're done with Wahoo, did they did they have discussions about scrapping the name at the time? Did they know at the time, like, eventually we're going to need to change the name? This is sort of easing our way into it. Like, how did those conversations look then? And, and I guess how have they gotten us to where we are now? I genuinely, you know, based on my conversations with people at that time, I genuinely feel like the name was was not the the front burner issue um, in uh, what was that 2017? Um, yeah, because that was after the World Series year where this the, the conversation with with MLB um, and, and starting to uh, you know align things for the All Star Game. I, I genuinely don't think the name uh, was was you know seriously discussed at that point, but probably should have been quite frankly because. Um, if you really, if you really take the thirty thousand foot view here, I, I think all these Native American names in sports are, are probably untenable, uh, for the very reason I mentioned. If, if there's any prickliness in a country that is uh, become more sensitive to these matters, and, and I would say ultimately rightly so, um, it, it's just hard. It's going to be hard for these to stick. So um, it, it's always hard to see the writing on the wall in the world and, and what will. I mean, it's lasted this long, but if you really want to dig in probably the they probably should have done this in the 70s when uh when these protests began at opening day and the team was terrible and you know maybe they needed a rebrand at that point and quite frankly not many people would have cared yeah and it probably would yeah exactly would have been a lot less complicated uh you wouldn't have a website to change and a twitter handle to change and all that stuff so um but yeah i mean here we are and it was probably inevitable to get here eventually but I, i don't think it was really uh uh a a true discussion a few years back yeah, and like I know there's a lot of people who are listening to this who are upset that the Indians are probably going to change their name and to a certain degree I get it. I mean the old Seinfeld line, you know, players are coming and going constantly so we're all just cheering for laundry. Mm-hmm. And at this point now you're basically saying, well you can't even cheer for the laundry that you've had a connection to for <laughs> your entire life. Yeah. Um but I mean, you know, here's my thing though. It's like at a certain point I just I have like zero desire to defend a team name. Like if I'm talking baseball, I want to talk about why we're bunning too much or, uh, or over managing uh, righty lefty pitching matchups late in games. And it just feels like a problematic team name is just such an easy headache to avoid. Right. So, yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't get in the heads of the, uh, of the representatives of the four newspapers in 1915 who, who made the name change to Indians, but I can't imagine uh, they envisioned it lasting uh, 105 years. That was not the situation with the ball club at that time. The team was constantly changing its name. And uh, and I think there's even a, a news article from that time that acknowledges that when somebody's saying whatever we choose will probably be temporary anyway. So, <laughs> um, But here we are 105 years later, and, and I get that people 
have an emotional attachment to it. I myself have an emotional attachment to it. I had an emotional attachment to Wahoo just from growing up with Chief Wahoo. But, um, you know, it, it's not worth it. Like you said, Tom, it's, mm. it's, oh, it's un, unnecessarily problematic. It's, it's avoidably problematic. And, and I think really, and I think some people are already having fun with this process. I, th- I think a refresh could be a lot of fun for this franchise and, and maybe it needs it. I mean, they haven't won since 1948. So come on, let's, let's, uh, let, let's try to, uh, get something going here. Let's well, at least for Mojo at some, in some level, right. At least for now, uh, the Indians name sticks around, uh, the days of having four newspapers in town. Not so much. <laughs> um, a lot of other things though I wanted to cover here. Uh, first and foremost, obviously this season is going to be very different. Uh, let's talk about the format, 60 games. Mm-hmm. And for the Indians, that means uh, they're all going to be against the AL Central and the NL Central teams. Is this a good or a bad thing for the Indians? On paper, it's a great thing. Um, it's important to stress on paper more than ever. Schedule strength is always difficult to assess in baseball in a normal scenario, let alone a 60 game sprint with, with a virus spread around like crazy. And, and who knows what teams have to manage an outbreak and all that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, on paper, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, their division is the weakest in baseball. Um, it's, it's very division weighted, you know, 40 out of 60 games against your division. And then, Oh, by the way, the, the team, the teams are playing from the other division. Uh, that was a, a you know, bit of a watered down division last year as well. Uh, teams change and, and the Reds are making a push this year and the White Sox are making a push this year. And and then even within the division, the, the, the clear rebuilding clubs, the, the Royals and Tigers, I mean, the Tigers have some really good young pitching that they could influence things in a short season. Um, not that they would necessarily contend, but just that they would be a, you know, a difficult draw on a nightly basis. So a lot of things can happen, but yeah, on, on paper, the Indians outlook is as good as anybody, I think, because they have, uh, the easier schedule with the same playoff format we've been playing with since 2012. And so those wild card spots, um, you know, they're, they're at a distinct advantage against other American league clubs from other divisions, uh, you know, to where they, they can pile up those wins and, and those wins count. So, uh, and, and then also they, they have, they're deep where it counts, you know, they're, they're deep in pitching and they've got a good manager, which I think in a, a shorter sample of games can, you know, mean something again. Um, so they're, they're, they're probably in as good a spot as anybody. Going to be some rule changes for this year as well. Uh, mm-hmm. some of these I think are only for 2020 others are, are permanent. I know there was that talk of the, the three batter minimum for relievers. Um, that's, that's still a go for this year, right? Yep. That's still a go. Um, and that was supposed to be, you know, they were supposed to have a couple weeks to, uh, get used to that in spring training and that's out the window. Now you can pull, only play up to three spring training games. Uh, or summer camp games, I should say. So it's going to be a, a brave new world for, especially for Terry Francona, who's, um, you know, one of the bigger uh, offenders, if you will, uh, of using a, a relief pitcher for just one batter. So you, uh, it's a three batter minimum unless the inning ends and you take the pitcher out. So, uh, you know, if Oliver Perez comes in and, and faces a lefty and, and, and gets him out for the third out of the inning, he can then be replaced. Um, but if he begins the next inning, the three batter minimum is still in effect. He still has to uh, face three batters. So interesting wrinkle this year for sure. Yeah, the Indians weren't they? Uh, didn't they like lead the league in pitching changes like the last couple of years? I believe so. I, I know for a fact that they were the number one team in terms of those those one out uh, appearances by uh, by a relief pitcher. So okay. Um, so yeah, Francona would definitely be uh, the most affected. 
All right. And then we got a universal DH for, for this season. Is this uh, testing the waters for possibly making this a permanent deal? It's going to be a permanent deal. It's just a matter of when. And, you know, the proposals that MLB, MLB put in front of the players all involved a universal DH for those both this year and next. And then that leads into a collective bargaining agreement that in all likelihood will involve the universal DH. The players rejected all those proposals. The MLB, MLB implemented the, you know, the, the schedule we have now. Um, universal DH is in there as part of the health protocols just because they don't want to put more on starting pitchers plate with already a, a quick ramp up time to the real season and, and you know, the, the injury risk that comes with that. So remove that equation completely. So there's a possibility if they were to play this season, get this season in with the universal DH um, and things are back to some semblance of normal in our country next year and you have a normal season, there's a possibility that pitchers would hit again in 2021 um, as of today. Now, a lot can change, of course, as we know, and the virus situation could still be present or there could be a negotiation with regard to the universal DH. But I feel like one way or another, starting in 2022, it'll be a permanent um, you know, reality in MLB. And I think long overdue, by the way, because people don't want to see pitchers hit. People like to see Bartolo Colon hit that one home run, but um, pitchers are not groomed to do this. It's, the system is not built for this. You go all the way to high school levels like – uh, the DH is a reality in baseball. It's been reality in Major League Baseball since 1973. So um, pitchers, some pitchers are getting to the big leagues having never hit since high school. And that's just, uh, you know, they got the numbers to show it too. It's also like, it's also bizarre to me that come the World Series, you, you're playing different rules based right. on where you play. Like that'll yeah. never get, that'll never stop being weird. But um, do the players in the National League, do they want the DH? Do they not? Like, do they, what do you, what's your feeling there? Do they have a strong preference? Well, the players buy it like as a body, as a as a group. The players' association wants the universal DH because it's it's more jobs, you know, right, it's, it's sure. fifteen more jobs, and uh, so that's why it was dangled in those proposals as you know an enticement, if you will. Um, obviously, there's there's pitchers who love to hit, and all pitchers think they can hit. Um, even the ones who can hit can't hit, you know, because <laughs> again, look at the number. I mean, Madison Bumgarner is yeah, exactly. Madison Bumgarner is a great hitter for a pitcher, but he's not a great hitter. So, um, so yeah, I, I, you know, you got, you got the pitchers in particular are, are bummed out by this, but as a body, they, they recognize like, this is, this is good for them. It's more jobs. It's more money. Also going to see a, a runner put on second base in extra innings this year to hopefully uh, not have games drag out uh, too long. Um, any other changes for this year uh, in place that I missed? Well, I mean, there's obviously the, the health protocols themselves are, right. you know, there's, there's tons of that, but in terms of actual gameplay, um, a uh, suspended games used to be uh, uh, the, the game would be cut short before it's official and they'd pick up when they would pick up, they would pick up from the very beginning of the game. Now, because of the tight schedule and everything, uh, if a game is suspended, it's, it's um, continued at a later date instead of, you know, restarted at a later date. Um and you know, there's, you can't have a brawl, <laughs> but that, again, that goes into the, the, uh, uh, the health protocols. So, um, but as far as gameplay, I mean, the two big ones are universal DH and, and the runner on second. So how do they, um, I'll, real quick, sorry to stop. Yeah. How do they enforce this? You can't have a brawl thing. Cause technically you can't ever really have one, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, it seems well, like that's always been a rule. Well, you know, there's just immediate ejection and discipline and, and a fine and suspension, but, 
Um, hopefully that's enough to, to deter it, but hopefully it's just trained in guys' minds to stay six feet away from each other. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in the heat of the moment, who knows, you know, uh, we're, we're seeing that in grocery stores when people arguing about masks. So <laughs> who knows uh, what will happen on the field. But um, I should also add that one rule change is that there's no change to where uh, position players can pitch in, in 2020. That was not supposed to be the case. They had a new two-way player rule. Um, you know, to, and, and part of that would have limited, uh, you know, position players ability to pitch and blowouts, but, um, that is off the table now because, you know, they don't want to take away teams ability to just get through this season. So, um, so that, that is temporarily not a rule now that was going to be a new rule in 2020. And now it's not the two way player rule. All right. What, uh, how are you feeling about the Indians' chances this year? We've seen, uh, you know, obviously Corey Kluber got traded. Uh, Trev, I know you wanted to ask um, about the, uh, the 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 key piece in that deal. Um, g- g- give me a rundown on the tribe here, Anthony. Well, yeah, that was a big big loss, Manuel Class A. I mean, we don't know what he is at the big league level. He, he throws a 100-mile-an-hour cutter but doesn't always know where it's going. You know, that you see that with, you know, those young relievers a lot with great stuff and have to figure it out. So it's, it's, it's an unknown what he would have brought to the bullpen, but now it's a known what he brings to the bullpen, which is absolutely nothing. And, uh, you know, him and James Karinchak, you know, the, those were big selling points for the bullpen to have some more firepower. Now it's, it's basically Karinchak and, and a crew that was really good last year uh, in the bullpen, but you never know from year to year. But I, I just feel like, uh, weirdly, I feel better about the Indians' chances in this environment than I did in 162-game season. Um, and one, I, I mentioned earlier that the schedule strength works in their favor, perhaps, maybe, uh, and, and, and the pitching depth and all that. But also, you know, one reason I feel this is different than 162 is the Francisco Lindor situation kind of hanging over their heads. I feel like that's much less of a factor uh, in this environment. I just, I, I don't think there's a realistic chance of him being traded where, uh, you know, you're limited in terms of what prospects you can even involve in a deal. They have to be on these 60 man lists uh, for the other club. So that, that complicates matters. And uh, it's only 38 days from opening day until the trade deadline. So that lessens the likelihood of the Indians totally falling out of it. Um, And, you know, would a team even make a big blockbuster trade for Lindor for two, you know, post seasons of control, knowing that at any given moment, the season could shut down because of the virus. So, um, so I, I just feel like that's, that's less of a pressing concern going into the year where they have to feel this pressure to, you know, be in the race. Otherwise the, the conversation, I've seen that before. I saw it with CC Sabathia, uh, most prominently where it, it kind of takes over the, the, the tenor of the clubhouse. And I don't, I don't think that's going to be as much of a factor now. Yeah. I was going to ask you, um, you mentioned that they can only trade guys who are on the 60 man list. Could we get into a situation where you start seeing a lot of trades with players to be named later, where there's like basically a handshake agreement on the side where there's like a prospect who's not on that 60 man list that gets shipped over uh, after the season's over? Or is that like a, a no, no? Uh, as far as I know, that might be a possibility. I have to dig into that, but that, that strikes me as, I mean, it's pretty close to collusion, but <laughs> I mean, people are always, I mean, people are always, uh, finding their way uh, into those uh, uh, into the minutia of the rule book and, and find the gray area and live there. Can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's the never any skullduggery in baseball. Never, as we know. never. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just think in general, I don't think it's, I, I can't imagine it's going to be the, the trade deadline. Like we're accustomed to. I just can't because primarily because of what I've mentioned to where um, 
it's going to be hard to separate uh, in, in such a short window of time, you know, what your needs are, where you're at in competitive standing and to give up something of significance would be a, a difficult thing to do knowing that, you know, two days later there's an outbreak and, and, and the postseason doesn't even happen. So um, yeah, I, I just feel like it's, you know, I, I don't want to be a, a, a wet blanket, but I just feel like the trade deadline could be a, a lot less interesting this year. I it's mean, an interesting transition. I think, uh, sorry, Tino. Uh, I think the question I'm, I, I have is we're talking about all these changes to the season, how it's going to be different and not what we're used to. Um, how confident are we that the season starts and finishes as, as we think it will right now, as it's stated right now? Depends what time you ask me, what day you ask me. I, mean, <laughs> right? I, I go all over on this. Uh, is that where baseball is too? Or are they sort of yeah. like full steam ahead and they'll, you know, well, they'll cross that bridge and they get there. Uh, Major League Baseball in general is, is full steam ahead and, and let's do this. And, and it's exciting. You know, it's exciting to think about pulling off a season in this environment where after having months of, of this looking like we wouldn't even get this far to where players are actually on a baseball field and, and getting ready for a season. But the reality is that, um, you know, if, if the players are just ultimately uncomfortable uh, with the protocols and with the testing and all of that, and in early days of testing, there's obviously been a lot of hiccups. So, um, so it's, it's hard not to, you know, have, have that air of pessimism as well to where, you know, can they pull this off? Um, what I ultimately feel like is, I don't know how it ends. I no I, nobody knows. Um, we don't know. It's amazing to think a couple months ago, we were talking about Florida, Texas, and Arizona potentially being hubs for a major league season and, and how, you know, they, there are major sources of outbreaks that would have been totally impossible. Um, so just hang with them and, and hope for the best. But what I ultimately feel like is if, if this doesn't work out, it won't be because, you know, people didn't try or didn't take it seriously. It'll just be because of where we're at as a country. You know, the country does not have a, a good grasp of this virus, unfortunately. No, and, you know, we have, I mean, knock on wood, it seems like things have mostly gone well for the Indians, I think, in that regard. Um, but several teams already have had issues with testing, right? I mean, there have been, yeah. what, about five or five or six teams that have had to shut down their their summer camp or whatever we're calling the uh, the, the extended spring training here? Yeah, and if that's, you know, if that's during the season, that's that's a game you can't play, you know, in a very short window to get games in. So um, so it's not a small thing. Now, you, you want to give them some benefit of the doubt because everybody reported to camp just in advance, just in advance of a major holiday and, and uh, you know, tests were held up as a result and there were issues with the deliveries and the shipments, all that. Um, so that let's let's give them uh, everybody's navigating a brand new situation here. Um, but certainly they're learning on the fly and they're learning quickly, you know, what needs to change, what needs to be improved. And I've, I've heard they're looking into a second lab for, for the testing to speed up that process of, of getting results back because you, you want to have them back to teams, you know, within a couple of days, obviously every, every day matters in a, especially in a 60 game season. So, um, so, you know, they'll, they'll continue to try to stay on top of it, but, it's just so many moving parts, especially with teams traveling and, and so many, just the sheer number of people involved, not just, you know, the 60 man lists of players, but also, you know, all the, all the periphery people uh, who work for the ball club. So it's a lot of heavy lifting. You know, the one other thing I was going to ask you with this shortened season, uh, do you think that's going to affect 
strategy in terms of maybe going with a four-man rotation, pushing your starters longer in games, uh, maybe fewer uh, days off for your your star players, just because, um, we're, it, you know, it's a lot more urgency involved in a, a short season like this. I think so. How could there not be? Um, you know, this is we're we always consider going into August as the home stretch of the baseball season and we're going to August on opening day. So um, it's, it's an amazing scenario. I'll be curious to see if, if teams are, you know, pretty aggressive and, and, and given their prospects uh, a, a chance in this environment, I think uh, there'll still be value to holding them back for a week before you call them up for the service time. But then after that point, um, it, all bets are off in, in terms of who can impact uh, this season. And, and that's really across the board. So it's kind of fun to think about, um, you know, bullpen use will probably be, I say this, not, I mean, some, some guys are pretty ramped up. I saw Garrett Cole through five innings in his first time out. So there was some thought that, well, starters won't be able to go, you know, very deep in the games at the outset, but you know, some guys will be able to go deep in the games for the outset. They only have about a dozen starts. I'm sure they, I'm sure they want to make them count. So guys have done their best to you know be on the ready, um, you know, during, during the shutdown, they, they kept themselves in shape. So, um, but you, you would imagine, uh, some, some aggression with bullpen usage and, and maybe in, in prospect promotion, it, it could get interesting. All right. Well, Anthony, one more thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go, you have a, uh, a new book that just came out. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's called a fan's guide to baseball analytics. You can get it wherever books are sold. And it's just, uh, um, I, I, I've been calling it a conversational glossary and that it takes you through. Well, first, it takes you through all the number, all the stats we grew up with, batting average and RBIs and wins, et cetera, and, and just tries to explain as best I can, you know, why those stats don't add up, uh, pun intended, you know, why, why they come up a little short and telling the story of the game. And, but but I'm, I'm trying to write it in such a way I'm not talking down to people or trying to make them feel stupid for, for still citing those stats because I still cite them myself. I just try to explain in plain terms, you know, why, why they don't quite do, do the best job. And, and then I take you through one by one all the relevant stats of, of baseball today um, from something like OPS that's been around for 30 years to something more nuanced, like weighted runs created plus, which is, you know, more newfangled. And, and, you know, you find that on fan graphs. And uh, I, I think these, these are really, you know, maybe the barrier for entry is, is how uh, weird they sound and, and, you know, the wonky names and all that. But I think when you really uh, have it explained to you, uh, in a conversational way, you realize that these, these numbers could be a lot of fun and you can compare eras and, and you can just have a better grasp, especially in a season like this where, you know, uh, it's going to be different and, and comparing players is going to be difficult because, uh, you know, you're not going to have your 30 home run guys. You're not going to have your 100 RBI guys. You're not going to have a 20 win season. So I think the rate stats, uh, you know, like weighted runs created plus or ERA plus or whatever it is, uh, are all the more important to understand. Might be a good time for me to brush up on those things. I've always kind of taken the attitude that I uh, am very respectful of the importance of those uh, numbers, and I want my team uh, studying those numbers and using them to make uh, good rational decisions, even if I don't know what the hell half of them mean. <laughs> but uh, maybe now I will if I uh, if I give you a read here. I'll, uh, I'll have a link to that, uh, that book uh, of yours in uh, the show notes for this as well. Anthony, thanks a lot for joining us, man. This has been a lot of fun to catch up. Thank you both. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, like I say, hopefully, uh, hopefully get this in. We'll see. We'll try our best. Yeah, here's hoping. He is at Castrovince on Twitter. You can read Anthony on MLB.com and you'll also see him uh, on your TV on uh, the MLB network. Um, 
that is going to do it for us for today. As a reminder, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts. We are also on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, and of course, uh, waitingfornextyear.com. Uh, our thanks again to Anthony Castrovitz for joining us. Uh, for Travis Julie, I'm Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin. We'll talk to you again soon. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.